Thank God, thank you for working through the heat. Getting out of bed, getting dressed. You look good this morning. Looks like some of you took a shower. That's awesome. I'm sure the person next to you appreciates it. I'm really glad you're here. Thank you. Look, if you're a guest here this morning, if this is your first or second time, or you, maybe you haven't been back for a while, thank you for coming this morning. Thank you for, truly thank you for being here, being our guest today. We pray that you make this your home, your church community. Up on the screen, you'll see a, a slide that you can, with a QR code, and you can find those QR codes anywhere. You can always just click on that, find out a little bit more about church. But more than that, tell us your story. We want to get to know who you are because your story is valuable. Not just valuable to us, it's valuable to him because it's his story. We want to jo be, be, uh, join in with that. So thank you. Can we give a shout out to everybody who's online as well? Guys, everybody who's online, we love you. We hope you're enjoying your summer break, your Selah moment somewhere. Enjoying it. Thanks for joining in with us on Sunday. We are so thankful for our kids' ministry, for our kids, this generation. We're rising up. Kiddos, can you follow Pastor Kevin out? Give them a hand, guys, as they're going. All the team that's back there already, all the kids that are back there. And as you're being seated, turn to somebody, give them a high five, a fist pump. Tell them it's good to see them today in church. Love you. Definitely love you, dude. Thank you, ma'am. You're so cute. Woo! We're not even going to mess around. We're just going to hop in the Word. If you weren't here last week, can I really encourage you uh, to go back this week and, and uh, go through the Word. Listen to it. Let it get into your spirit. Um, because uh, this week we'll build off of last week and next week we'll build off of this week and it's not a series, it's just what we've been talking about, how to grow with God, precept upon precept, line upon line. We build a life. We don't, we don't, we don't shotgun our spirituality. We purpose to build a life. And so, look, since you brought your Bible today, why don't you open with me to the book of Exodus chapter 28. Exodus is the second book of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, written by Moses. It's about the story of the exodus of God's people out of slavery, like us, to sin and into the promised land of God, into, into abundant life. And if you need a, a title for today's message, it's just raw. We're going to get raw. Raw. Because have you ever found yourself rubbed raw by people? Especially when you're trying to be nice to people, or love on people, or give grace to people, or the, be, be the best person of faith that you can be. And in the midst of all that, man, your, our emotions just ebbed, end up being rubbed raw. Our patience, anybody? Our patience is rubbed raw, right? Our hearts get rubbed raw. And what's our first response to pain? What is a humanity's first response to pain? You touch a hot oven, what do you do? Withdraw. Our first response as human beings to any type of pain is to withdraw. Now, in our world, the way that we withdraw is that we ghost people. We ghost things. We, 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 we feel a little bit of pain or discomfort in something, and we, we ghost a, a friend, or we ghost our family, or, or, or we ghost church, or, or, or we ghost that relationship, or we even ghost God. And because we're going through pain from that rub that we're feeling, rubbing raw, we are, we are learning, we are learning to respond to the wrong ghost. In church today, in our Christian lives, 
in our world so often because of pain, we are learning to respond to the ghost of the world rather than the Holy Ghost of the Spirit. And the reality is that this rubbing raw can so easily happen because we are constantly living in this tension between God's command to love our neighbor as ourself, right? Matthew 28, 39, second and greatest commandment, love God and then love people as yourself. And the reality that people, including ourselves, are really hard to love. Can I get an amen? People are hard. Oh, y'all aren't real this morning. Sometimes I'm hard to love. Danielle, don't say amen. <laughs> right? We are hard to love. Now, let's be honest. Being kind and being gracious and being nice is all good in a theological bubble. We've got it, theologically. But when that real world comes into real conflict with the Kyles and the Karens of this fallen world, our Christianity, our heart, our willingness to love gets rubbed raw, and it often causes us to land in the protraction of pain. Stay with me. Many of us today are living in the protraction of pain. That means when we feel pain, we shrink back. The natural result of fallen humanity to pain is to shrink our life, to shrink how we love, how much we love, what we're, who we're willing to love, where we're willing to go, what we're willing to be patient with, who we're willing to be patient with, how much grace we're willing to give the pastor, how much time we're protraction of pain that's the reality that we live in and we're left with the question then so is it God's command that is impossible to do which isn't the truth or maybe in our attempt to do it are we going about it the wrong way in this text what we're going to see is God's command to cover his priesthood which is you and I in such a way to help us carry out our life of worship to him without being rubbed raw and protracting our life from pain. We will face pain. So we have to learn how to deal with it. The Bible says this. Exodus 28 verse 15. It's talking about Aaron's breastplate. It says, you shall make the breastplate of judgment artistically woven according to the workmanship of the ephod. You shall make it of, blue, of gold, of blue, of purple, of scarlet thread. Come on, somebody. There is a scarlet thread of Jesus' blood that is being woven through the fabric of our lives. It will be woven with fine linen. It shall be doubled over into a square, a span, which is the length of a, a spread out hand uh, on both sides. So there's an inner and an outer side of this thing. There's an, this is where inner and outer worship are connected. And you shall put settings of stones in it, four stones in a row, four stones of three, on which what we'll know is engraved the, 12, uh, the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. So the priesthood is carrying the names. They're carrying the tribe. They're carrying the people. Verse 29 says, So Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel on the breastplate of judgment over his heart. Underline that. Over his heart. Are we carrying people in our heart? I'm not talking about the people who we love. I'm talking about the people who rub us raw. 
we carry in this church in our heart? We carry in the lost people in our friends? Are we just trying to make sure that they're all right? That they're not hurting too bad? Or are we bringing them to Jesus? Over our heart. So when he goes into the holy place, which is a place that he should worship, as a memorial to the Lord continually, and you'll put into the breastplate of judgment the Urim and the Thummim, which we'll talk about next week, and they shall be over Aaron's heart when he goes in before the Lord. So Aaron shall bear the judgment of the children of Israel over his heart. Do you hear the theme? Over his heart. Over his heart continually before the Lord. Now, before we even jump in any further, I love the Hebrew word here for judgment because it contains both the meaning of judgment against something that is wrong but also the ability to judge what is right so what God is doing is he is giving his priesthood you and I the ability through the Holy Spirit to judge what is right and wrong so right the right and wrong way to carry people the right and wrong way to discern how to carry people in our heart Come on, this is what we get to see in this text that God calls Aaron, who was his high priest at the time, Moses' brother, to carry his people on his chest and over his heart, to carry the weight of them, the reality of them, even the issues that bring judgment onto them. He's called to carry them as he goes on about his life of worship and sacrifice to God as a means. This is a way to worship God as a means to worship God. So the first thing that you and I need to see is that as disciples, we're called to do this as well. Because you and I are priests. We are called to carry love for people and carry grace for people and, be, and carry mercy for people as we walk out this life of worship for God without getting rubbed raw by standing in the gap for people because it's part of our priestly ministry of worship. You and I are called to give God glory as a priest would by carrying this as an act of worship. First Peter 2.9 says that you and I are a chosen generation. You and I are a royal priesthood. What are we supposed to do as royal priests? To live a life in such a way as to proclaim God's glory because he brought us out of darkness into light. So as priests, we are called to carry the name, the tribe, and all the people. Aaron didn't just call, uh, carry the names and the tribes of the people who would love God. He would carry the names and the tribes of the people who would rebel against God, who wouldn't, who wouldn't care about God, who, who told God off, who walked their own way, who lived a different lifestyle. But Aaron still carried their name. And that's a challenge for us. Because trying to live that way challenges our sense of joy and peace because that life constantly is rubbing against us. Constantly rubbing against us. And let's be honest. Sometimes the truth is it's hard to carry a name because when we feel like we have to carry a name, we feel like the onus is on us to make sure that name is good. Right? Proverbs 22.1 says that a good name is to be sought after more than the greatest riches. It's more important than gold itself. Right? That's why we try so hard to make sure our name is so good in people's mouth. Which is difficult enough to do because Jesus said in John 17.16 that we basically have to live in this world but not be of this world. Which, if we're living that way, causes friction between us and people we're trying to carry. 
It causes friction between ourselves and our emotions we're trying to protect. It causes friction between ourselves and our insecurities that want us to be accepted. There's a lot of rub in that. But let me ask you this question. How difficult is it to carry the name Christian? In today's world, let's be honest. How difficult is it? Oh, I'm not talking about in this room. Come on, somebody. Christian, Christ follower, disciple of Jesus, lover of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. The reason that's so difficult, the reason that it, it rubs on us so often is because so often we look at social media, we look at other things, we look at other people, and we, they, they drive us crazy. You know, I, I don't know about you, I, but I'm constantly having to apologize to people I'm trying to lead to Jesus. Be like, I'm sorry, that, that, that's not us. Yeah, that's not who I am. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. If you're not having those conversations, it's because you're not around people that don't know Jesus. Because they know people that say they know Jesus, but we're not the Jesus we want them to know. And we're like, no, there's such a cringe, there's a cringe factor, right? We're like, no. And then we have to realize the hard truth is many times the cringe factor is us. Then the rub is really raw. And we get rubbed raw. So if we're honest, we stop using the name. Because our soul then is happier being known as a good person. I like that Kyle. He's a good guy. That Kyle, he's a loyal friend. He's a, he's a, he's a nice guy, that guy. He's a nice guy. Our soul is happier being known as a good person rather than being called a Christian because of everything that is attached to that name in our world. But the part of Aaron's worship was carrying the name. But part of Aaron's worship was carrying the name. Because there's power in the name. The glory is in the name. The worship is in the name. When Peter and John find the broken man by the gate called beautiful, they say silver and gold I do not have. But what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. That name was a criminal's name. That name was despised where he was speaking it. The crowd around him could have stoned him for using the name, but he knew there was power in the name, glory in the name, and worship in the name. When we detach ourselves from the name, we attach ourselves to glory that is not ours to claim. I'm going to say it again. When we detach ourselves from the name, we are attaching ourselves to glory that is not ours to claim. And in this world that is seeking glory and fame, we are constantly pressed on every side to make our name glorified. And the issue becomes not about worship, not about the worship of a name, but rather whose name receives the worship. Because the name outside of these four walls rubs us raw. And I know, adding on top of that, that many times it's a heavy load to feel like we have to carry our tribe as well. Come on, all of us have tribes, don't we? 
We all have family units and friend groups and people we identify with and church communities. And Jesus called us to love everyone in that tribe. Come on, all of us have a favorite part of our family tree and then the other part. The part you're real happy that are coming on Thanksgiving and the other part you're like, I'm going to be on the other side of the table. But it's no mistake that Aaron is, ca- is called to carry the names of the tribes over his heart. Come on, to be honest, tribes can be a lot. They can be a lot on us. There are always needs. There's always expectations on our time and our talents and our attention. And there's always someone and something that requires our commitment and some family tradition, right, that demands our participation and some church need that needs to get filled. And when, our, when, and when love looks like we have to be the answer, when love looks like we have to be the answer, when love looks like we have to be the answer, let the chafing begin. Because before long, you'd be like, after all I did for you, this is how you treat me. I'm sorry, did I do it unto the Lord or did I do it for them? Because wherever you sow from, you'll reap from. And when love looks like this, and I, I fall into this category a lot because I'm a doer. I'm a doer. I like to, I, one of my things that I love, I love to take care. I, I love to bless people. I, that's one who I am. But a lot of times it's who I am. When love looks like this, we, become, we, we fall into the trap of becoming much more like Louisa for, uh, uh, Louisa from the movie Encanto, right? We love that movie Encanto. If you've never seen that movie Encanto, I know Melissa has seen that movie. We talk about this movie, this movie Encanto. Louisa is the older sister, and she has this magical power, ability to be strong, so everyone depends on her to perform all the time. And she comes to this place in the midst of her tribe where she sings this song. It's pressure like a drip, drip, drip that'll never stop. Whoa. It's pressure that'll tip, 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 Till you just go, pop, whoa, oh, give it to your sister, your sister's older, give her all the heavy things you can, shoulder, who am I if I can't run with the ball, if I fold to pressure, what a question, who am I if I fail in performing We find ourselves in the midst of our tribe rubbed raw by the pressure to perform. In church with the pressure to perform. In our friend group with the pressure to perform. And the reality is many times we get rubbed raw because we have mishandled the place from which love should come from. And that pain then, because the pressure's on us to love, to love, to love. And it's our love that we're trying to give away rather than tapping into his love. And the pressure causes pain, and pain causes us to protract our life. So we're not trying to make our love bigger. We're not going to God and saying, help me to love more. What we're doing is shrinking our tribe. In our world today, the number one thing that people are doing when this pressure comes is they're 
They are shrinking their tribe to make it smaller, to make it easier to serve, to limit their exposure to the crowd. And we end up with a life like Peter in Matthew 26. Do you remember the story? Matthew, here's Peter. Man, no one's going to touch Jesus. I'll go to war for Jesus. I'll knock you out. You come after my boy Jesus. Don't touch my church. You better not even come near my family. Don't even, don't even, don't bring that noise over here until... The tribe he used to be in wasn't quite as popular as it used to be. Then he's standing around a campfire and a little girl comes up to him and he's like, uh, yeah, you're part of that tribe. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. I've seen you with him. No, I'm not. We know you're part of him. We hear your accent. Come on. We've heard you talk about church before. We've heard you talk about you. You look like you. You've been walking like You've been talking like you. I know that you're part of that tribe. Peter goes, I swear to God, I am not a part of that tribe. What is he doing? His pain is calling him, causing him to make his tribe smaller because of the pain. He readjusts his tribe to fit his pain. Man, I can relate to this. It's easier to readjust the size of our tribe than to ask God to readjust the size of our love. And I know maybe I'm not saying that you're going you're to deny Jesus, but you and I will, will end up diluting the call of Jesus on our life by diminishing the size of our tribe to what we can handle. God, just give me the size of the tribe that I can handle. Jesus wrestles with this, by the way, with a teacher of the law in Luke chapter 10. Teacher of the law, a church person, she rolls up to Jesus and he's uh, talking about how can he have eternal life. And Jesus says, well, you know what the commandments are. Love God and love uh, your neighbor as yourself. And the, the Bible says in verse 29, the, the man trying to justify his position says, well, Jesus, who is my neighbor? He, didn't, he wasn't like, tell me who my neighbor is. He was like, um, excuse me, but I've got my group. Tell me who my neighbor is. Jesus goes on to tell the parable of the Good Samaritan about a man who's bloodied by the side of the road and a bunch of righteous, good church folk walk on by. And then there's this dude that, that no one likes that's an like outcast of society called a Samaritan. He walks over and takes care of the guy. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, you want to know who your tribe is? Anyone who's hurting. Any, you want to identify your tribe? It's anyone who's hurting. Rich Poor, white, black, Hispanic, Asian, it doesn't matter. Young, old, friendly, unfriendly. Come on. Bi, straight, tramp. Anyone who's hurting is my neighbor. Oh, that just rubs some folk wrong. Good. Because I hope it makes your love bigger. Because our worship is not found in what we can handle, but living in such a way as what he can handle, and living in such a way as to let him handle it. Then you add on top of that, my friends, carrying the judgment of all the people, that's gotta rub you raw. Come on, have any of us looked outside? Anybody watched the news lately? Anybody look outside and go, what in the world is going on? Like. Is anyone else surprised that Jesus has not imploded the world yet? 
Like, because I don't know about you, but I turn on stuff all the time. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how it's not. I, if I'm God, boom, done. I'm just done. We're in heaven. It's all good. Because in that, we're like, this is never going to change. And then in the, if you're like me, you start to hear verses in your head, like Matthew 5, 13, right? And it's like, but you're the salt of the earth. Be the light of the world. And you're like, shut up, right? And then it's like Matthew 28, 19. Go into all the world and make disciples. I'll be with you the whole time. I've got to shush. And then the Spirit says, Acts 1, 8. Uh, I've given you power to be my witnesses to the end of the world. You're like, come on. Come on. Are you serious, God? Have you seen the world that's out there? And we find ourselves, because of our pain, Judging with the futility of inevitability. With the futility of inevitability. It is inevitable that no matter what I do, it's futile. Nothing is going to really change. So I protect my time. I don't want to waste my resource. I guard my heart. I believe that God could change the world, but I live like there really isn't an answer for that change. And our worship of God that we should be offering by tending to this world is translated into our ideological opinion of what is wrong with this world. I should be worshiping God by tending to my world. But rather, I share my ideological opinion. Hey God, do you know what's wrong with the world? Thanks, Jonah. Thanks, Jonah. I know your opinion. Get to Nineveh anyway. Yeah, but God, you don't understand. The Assyrians, they ain't interested. God, do you know how bad they are? Do you know what they do? They put hooks in people's chests that they don't like and rip the skin out. God, do you know what? They, they're not, they're not going to change, God. I need to protect my life. What's he saying? I'm just done with people. I'm done with people. And by doing that, we lose an avenue of worship to God because people not perishing and experiencing his will is, uh, his love is the will of the Father. It's how he, we worship him. And I think the issue is when we try to carry people and carry our name and carry our tribes without the proper covering, we get rubbed raw. We get chafed. Because because of the friction between grace and rejection, between the truth we've offered and the opinion we've gotten back, between extending a helping hand and receiving the ingratitude of the one who received it. But if we're honest, we're really chafed because we're doing it out of flesh and not relying on the Spirit. We know what we should do, and we're trying to do our best to carry the breastplate for God. You know, the other day I was out raking leaves and I was raking all the, the weeds that were in our garden and we had a bunch of stuff so I was raking it up and I, I don't know, I hate to rake and I was raking, I was raking and, 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 and it, it, when you're raking, when you're raking, have you ever started to feel like the, I was doing it without gloves because I was frustrated, I hate weeds, I wanted to get it done and did you ever start feeling like the, 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 the hot sensation on your skin? I felt the hot sensation on my skin. I was like, I don't even care. I'm not putting on gloves. I just kept doing it and doing it and doing it. And my, my, my hand got rubbed raw. And then there was a blister. Uh-huh. Yeah, anyone? 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 Do you know why there was a blister? Because there was too much flesh exposed. 
Do you know why we get blistered when we are tending to God's garden of people? Because there's too much flesh exposed. Because we did not take the time, we did not take the, 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 the wisdom, we did not listen to the voice inside of us that said, put the covering on. You better get your covering on. You better get under cover. You better get under the cover of God's authority. You better get under the cover of God's grace. You got, hey, take a moment before you start getting out there and tending to the world to get a covering on. Because, my friend, you've got too much flesh. Come on, somebody. Exposed. That's why we need a covering. It's why Aaron, i got to take these off because I won't be able to slide this up if not. <laughs> it's why we need a covering. It's why Aaron first had to put on the tunic and then the robe and then the ephod. Because if he had just put on the breastplate and wore it around, it would have rubbed him raw. The metal would have cut him and he would have been bleeding and he would have scar marks on his body. And before too long, he would have been like, this is too hard. I'm getting rubbed up too much. I don't want this anymore. But here's the truth, my friends. The glove doesn't affect the rake. The glove affects the effects the rake has on my life. That's what forgiveness and righteousness and the priestly covering does when we put that on that doesn't change them it changes us when we have an encounter with them that's why Isaiah chapter 61 a messianic verse says this that for he talking about the Messiah has clothed me with garments of salvation he has covered me with the robe of righteousness See, my friends, as we go about living out this life of worship in this world with God, there are three layers of priestly protection that Aaron had to put on before he could carry the breastplate. There are three layers of protection that we need as well to protect us from the rub. The first thing he had to put on, if you read before this in Exodus 28, is he had to put on a tunic of white of white linen. It was an undergarment made of white linen that went from the top all the way down to the bottom of his feet. It went all the way down. The white linen covered him. White always symbolizes purity and forgiveness. It's the covering that Jesus Christ brings into our life. It's the covering that deals with sin and shame and guilt that causes us to have to prove why we're worthy. Prove why we shouldn't be guilty. Prove that we're good enough. He deals with that by actually covering us. That's why Romans 8.1 says, when I'm in Christ, there's no condemnation. I don't have to prove anything. I just have to live with him. So our covering starts with the most intimate piece of apparel because it's our personal worship with Jesus. If you are not having personal time, if you don't have personal victories, in the backwoods like David did, when no one knows you, you'll never be able to have public victories when you stand in front of the Goliaths in public. There's this amazing moment in 1 Chronicles chapter 15 where David, he's bringing the ark back in finally to Jerusalem. He's going to put it in his rightful place. He's, he's in the presence of God, and the Bible says that he's naked. He's, he's not. He's stripped down to the tunic, the white linen tunic. All he has is the covering of, uh, of the Lord on him, and he is dancing, and he is rejoicing because he is covered, and he's in the presence of God in front of all the people. He don't even care what people think, and his wife comes up, and she scolds him, and she's like, how undignified are you that you would take off all the good things that mark you as a king to make sure that 
that you are recognized out there that make your name great? How dare you strip yourself down and expose yourself so way? How dare you become so authentic? How dare you become so vulnerable in front of all these people? He, she, and he says to her, you think this is undignified? Man, when I'm in the presence of my king, I will become even more undignified than this because that is the most important thing. What he thinks, not what they think. There's this beautiful moment in the end of the book in Revelation 3, 5 that says, He who overcomes will be clothed in white and I will blot out, I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and his angels. When we get in front of Jesus, it builds this security that comes from that type of intimacy that knows if I'm okay with him, it's okay that I'm not okay with others. That doesn't mean that I actually get to be a jerk to other people. But it means that I don't have to worry about building my name when I actually know his. This must become our foundation for any lifestyle of worship. It constantly reminds me of my own need for grace, my own need for mercy, my own need for forgiveness, my own brokenness and all that Jesus had to go through for me. Our intimacy with Jesus is the Vaseline that reduces the friction we face from any other person and from ourselves. And when we feel that friction coming, it should bring us right back to Jesus. Because there is friction. But then it brings me back. And I remember, oh God, how patient you have to be with me. 30 years saved and you still have to be patient with me. Oh, God, pastor, for more than 30, 30 years, God, and yet you still have to give me grace. I'm still so broken. How can I withhold the grace that you've given me from giving it to others? And it burns me up, God, but that's what needs to change in me. Then the Bible says we need to be covered by the robe of blue. Blue always symbolizes heaven. It's the robe of righteousness, of his righteousness, not ours. It's his right standing that we get to stand in. It's the robe of sonship, of adoption. Do you remember? Well, come on, what is the first thing the father gave to the prodigal son when he came home? Do you remember the story in, in Luke chapter 15? The prodigal son, he got his money, went away, partied, ended up in a pigsty, got to a place in life where he's like, I don't want to live like this anymore, turns around, repents, and heads back to his father's house. His father sees him from afar, runs to him, embraces him with love, and the first thing the Bible says, the first thing here in Luke chapter 15, verse 27, the Bible says this, the first thing he gives him is a robe. He says, get the best robe and put it on my son. He has to be reminded who he is. He's been living with the pigs. He's been dirty. He's been nasty. He's done things unspeakable. He needs to remember who he is. You and I have been made righteous because he has adopted us as children of God. He says, give him the robe, then put a ring on his finger, then put sandals on his feet so that he can walk it off. We walk it out. We can't carry the authority of Jesus without first being wrapped in the robe of Jesus. The reality is the robe reminds me when I start to feel chafed that this is my father's house. And it's a big, big house with lots and lots of rooms. A big, big table 
with lots and lots of food. It's a big, big yard where the birds can play football. That's old school newsboys for some of you looking up later. It reminds me I'm not my own. Reminds me I'm lived, I, lived, I lived to carry out the will of the Father. This isn't my field. These aren't my people. This isn't my world. This is not my work that I started. But rather Philippians, oh, I got to remember that. This is not my work I started. Philippians 1 verse 6 says that he who began the good work, he who began, he who began the good work will be faithful to bring it to completion. It reminds us of who we are and whose we are and that he will provide that because we're his children, you and I can go to him in prayer. To boldly go before the throne of grace, Aaron was called to make intercession for the people. Not be the answer for the people, but to make intercession for the people. And the truth is, my friends, that prayer is the bomb that heals the burns of our own self-sufficiency. We get burned because we constantly are trying to be spiritually self-sufficient. And we're rubbed raw, and we're rubbed raw, and we're rubbed raw. Prayer is what actually covers and becomes the bomb that heals the burns of our own self-sufficiency and self-reliance. Because in prayer, prayer is where burdens exchange hands. The burden of my hand gets taken from his, and the burden of joy and peace and love and joy come down to me. That's why God says in 2 Chronicles 7.14, if my people will humble themselves. Stop thinking too highly about ourselves. Seek my face and pray. Then I'll heal, hear from heaven, and then I'll heal their land. Sonship reminds me that my role as a son or a daughter is to steward my father's sheep even if they bite. And finally, in order to get good protection, Aaron puts on the ephod, the garment of the priesthood. So he puts on the linen, clothes, uh, the linen tunic of forgiveness, puts on the robe of adoption and righteousness, and then he puts on the ephod, the garment of being a priest. And in Exodus 28, verse 6, it says that an ephod is made of gold and blue and purple and scarlet and white. And why am I saying that? Because all of those things mean something. Gold is divinity. Blue is heaven. Purple is royalty. Scarlet is blood. White is forgiveness. So what is it that we are wearing? The message of this. Divinity came down from heaven as a king whose scarlet blood makes my sin as white as snow. What am I wearing? That divinity came down from heaven. Come on, somebody. As a king whose scarlet blood makes me white as snow. Divinity came down from heaven. And as a king, his scarlet blood made me white as snow. This is the message that I carry. This is the message that we wear. This is the message that people need to hear and see. This is the message people should be seeing as we live out our worship. Romans 1.16 says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God of salvation. 
The issue is as people and as a culture, we have gotten entranced more by the messenger than the message. Oh, he can preach. Oh, that church, man, they're lighting it up. Oh, that God, man, you should hear, you should go. You got to see, we have become entranced by the messenger more than the message. And the pressure becomes, we got to make sure then that we're perfect, that we're cool enough, that we're acceptable enough to people so that they accept the message. Because after all, it's up to us. Because we have to persuade them, even though the Bible says no one can call Jesus Lord except the Spirit give him utterance. Pressure falls on us as church. Got to be cooler. Have to have the right vibe. Got to build the right atmosphere. I know because we did it for a really long time. And when we focus on that, it makes us feel pride or shame about the messenger we are. And church feels the pressure never to mess up and be super cool. Get the right vibe or else. And we end up putting the preeminence on the messenger rather than the message. We put the preeminence on on the messenger rather than the message. But the power is in the message. Acts 4.12 says there is no other name under heaven and earth in which one can be saved but the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I I am the only way to the Father. The power is in the message. We don't need to be a perfect messenger because we already carry a perfect message. The power is in the message. So carry the message. Reflect on the message. Proclaim the message. Because the message changes the, uh, the, 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 the futility of inevitability into the probability of possibility. Because when we think about the message of goodness, and the goodness of God, the power of God, what once was impossible with man becomes possible. Because the power is in the message and it reminds me of my role as a priest that the real power is not us but it's in what we carry so we carry the sacrifice for another yep we have to carry sac- we have to sacrifice for other people just like Jesus did for us we have to stand in the gap for other people who will never be grateful may never respond and may never say thank you We have to intercede for people without ever telling them we are and trusting in the one who we intercede with to make the difference. We have to proclaim the message of the king regardless of the hype or the state of the messenger because the message has power and because we love people enough to not let them spend eternity separated from God. If they don't love me, if they don't like me, but accept the message, then that's good. And it is not our love, my friends, that will make a difference. It's how we carry his love. Because it's his love that that covers over a multitude of sins. It wasn't Aaron that needed to be perfect for the people's sins to be forgiven. It was the lamb that needed to be perfect. You don't need to be perfect. You just got to carry the lamb. You don't need, come on, somebody should have stood up and said, amen, thank you, Jesus. 
Because there's so many of us that think we're not good enough. We don't know the Bible enough. I don't know the scriptures enough. I'm not prolific enough. I'm like Moses. I stutter. I don't have the right words. Can't you send Aaron? Can't you send someone else? And God said, you don't need to be perfect. The lamb you carry is perfect enough. That's it. You don't have to hype up the message. The message is already hyped. And when we carry the judgment of people over our hearts, and I'm closing with this, we will begin to feel the weight of brokenness. And when we feel the weight of brokenness, it'll increase our capacity for grace. And it'll deepen our sense of compassion for the broken. Because there's a difference between judging and carrying the weight of judgment. Judging alleviates all of the things I just mentioned because it elevates us above the person. But when we carry the judgment of people in the spirit, we begin to feel the weight that they are carrying. I don't know if you're like me. This happens all the time. When I go to the store, I am a one trip into the house guy. Doesn't matter how many bags I got. Anybody? Do I have any fellow? Do I have anybody else out there? Feel? Like I am a one trip. I could have 14 bags. I am a one trip. I am balancing the bounty or the charmin on the bottom. I'm I'm juggling this. I'm carrying. I don't care. And I will I will have all these bags. And I'll look like Quasimodo. Come on, somebody. Come and I'll carry in the car. And Danielle will always come out. So we're like, come on, honey. What are you doing? Give me a bag. And inevitably, she will pick the heaviest bag. The one with the sodas and the milk, come on somebody, <coughs> and the coffee, and she'll be like, boom! She's dragging it around. Because the moment she took it off of me, she understood the weight I was carrying. She could sit over there like a good church person and be like, oh, they look how bent over they are. Look what they're trying to do. That person's stupid. That's just dumb. They should take 14 trips. If I was doing it, I wouldn't do it that way. I would get, I would get some friends. I would have pulled the car closer. I mean, I don't know what they're doing. Grab a bag. But I don't know what's in the bag. Yup. And some of their stuff in their bag, they didn't want in the bag either. They didn't order it. It was because someone else in the house needed it. That's why Jesus tells us, Galatians 6.2, the word says, carry each other's burdens. And when you carry each other's burdens, you'll fulfill the law that Jesus gave us. The beautiful thing, my friends, about this ephod, about this priestly garment that will keep our hearts and our souls from being rubbed raw is that the breastplate was connected to the ephod on the two shoulder plates. It actually hung from it. It was connected to it and supported by it. And those two shoulder plates had two stones with all the tribes of Israel named on it. And the weight to accomplish all of this hung from the shoulders of the high priest. 
My Bible tells me in Isaiah 9, for unto us a child was born, unto us a son was given, and the government shall be on his shoulders. Everything that hangs, everything that we're called to do, to love, to give grace, to carry people, hangs from his authority. This is who Jesus is. He's the scarlet thread woven throughout the story of our lives. He's the tunic of white that forgives our sins and breaks the chains of shame. He's the blue robe that dropped from heaven and envelops us as children of the King. He's the priestly garment that carries our sacrifices, stands in the gap for our future, intercedes before the Father on our behalf, and whose love covers a multitude of our sins. He carries our burden. His sovereignty, authority, and reign bends the natural order to His supernatural will. It rests upon His shoulders because He is the one true high priest. His provision of forgiveness blankets us with protection. His righteousness gives us a platform to know how to live out as sons and daughters of God. And His priestly garments give us power and authority through the Holy Spirit to use the precious stones. We're going to talk about that next week to use the precious stones, to use the precious stones. What did we talk about last week? Paul said, you gotta build on gold. You gotta build your life on silver, come on. You gotta build it on the divinity of Jesus, the redemption of Jesus, and you gotta build it with precious stones, the gifts of the Spirit. That's how we can carry the name and the tribe and the people without being rubbed too raw. So today, can you see yourself putting on each one of those garments one by one? Put on forgiveness. Put on the robe of sonship, being a son or daughter of God and realize, take off the robe of self-reliance. Take off the burden that I gotta do it. Take off the burden I did it wrong. I haven't gotten it right. I messed my kid up, I messed my marriage up. It's inevitable, nothing will change. Step into the authority of the high priest of God. Put on the ephod, wear the breastplate. The only decision that I have left today is will I live to love people in a way that will worship God with all I've got? Will I live to love people to worship God with all I've got? We're gonna pray. my friends you've been carrying this the wrong way for too long in church conferences 
and church hype and social media and good hearts and good desires have kept us in a position where we are being rubbed raw and shrinking our lives, making our tribe smaller rather than getting in front of our God and allowing him to make our love bigger. Do you know why I can be authentic up here? I figured it out. <laughs> I don't always have it right, but I figured it out a little while ago. I'm okay, because I'm okay with him. And when I mess up, he's got my back. And if I can persuade you to come to Jesus, someone else can persuade you to leave him. But if I can give you the perfect lamb, and you'll start carrying the perfect lamb yourself, man, it's really hard for someone to take that lamb away. The power isn't in the messenger. The power you got is in the message. Let's pray. Maybe today there are a couple moments of prayer we need to take, some moments we need to get right with God just going to allow John to play for a moment. And uh, I'm going to ask you to do business with God for a moment. Because somewhere along in this message, something hits you. And it rubbed you. And you start to feel the friction. And that friction is a good thing because it's showing you where your flesh is exposed. So come on, just take a moment and just start calling out to Jesus. Just, just say, God, forgive me. Be that prodigal son and daughter. Get out of that pigsty moment. Your whole life doesn't have to be a pigsty for you to turn around. That moment might be. That thing might be. That, idol that, that, that idolatry might be. That, that bias, that prejudice might be. Just come on. Just turn around. Come, Jesus, I'm so sorry. Cleanse me. Let him drop a new robe on you. doing it in your own power relying on yourself beating yourself up because you didn't do it right repent ask for forgiveness ask the Holy Spirit to show you right now how to rely on him Holy Spirit, come, Holy Spirit, come, Holy Spirit, come, Holy Spirit, come. Every victory is yours. Jesus, every victory is yours. Every victory is yours. Every victory is yours. Every victory is yours. Every victory. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Every victory, every victory, every victory. My friends, we're going to pray one thing together as a church because I want to give you an opportunity to, if you have never actually received 
the white tunic, if you've never actually received forgiveness, if you've never actually asked Jesus to be Lord of your life, today's the day. There is no other name under heaven in which a man or a woman can be saved. Jesus and Jesus alone is the way, the truth, and the life. The only way to come to the Father. The best news I could ever tell you is that you can't make your own way there. You'll never be good enough. That's the best news. Because the best news is followed with this news. That you don't have to be good enough because he already is. If you've never actually surrendered your life to Jesus, asked him to be the Lord and Savior of your life, we're going to pray. And I'm going to ask you to pray with us. But you pray in your heart to God. And you let him set you free right here. You let him set you, you, let him set you free right here. You, you let him set you free right here. That prodigal son, the Bible says, only had to turn around. The Bible says he turned around towards his father's house. And the father ran to him. He didn't need to close the gap. The Father closed the gap. If you will turn your heart towards God today, He will close the gap. So let's pray. Just say, Dear Lord Jesus, I'm here to give you my life. I'm holding nothing back. I'm asking you, Jesus, to close the gap between us. I'm asking you, to be the Lord and the Savior of my life. Forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me of everything I've done wrong. Fill me with your spirit. Clothe me with your righteousness. From this day forward and forevermore, I choose to live for you and you alone. In Jesus' name, come on, say it with me, amen. And amen and amen. Give God some glory, church. Just take a moment to thank God for freedom and life, forgiveness and mercy. Jesus. Mm. Woo. Look, if you prayed that prayer or want to know a little bit more about that prayer, Pastor Rick and Kathy right over here, they're going to meet you right at these tables right out back. If you need some additional prayer, just hang out with them for a moment. They'll pray over you. We're going to believe that the decision you made today, whether it's a first-time decision or a 500th-time decision, that what you gave to Jesus, He will be faithful to bring to completion because He loves you. Because He loves you. Amen? Well, I know you have offering, but you're back behind the thing. Why don't we all stand together for a moment? Do I have anything to say? Well, you know when you're like, I know I'm supposed to lead the people today, <laughs> but Jesus, lead me, Lord. <laughs> because we're human, we come up with stuff just as much as you do to church. There's things that we mourn. 
things that we are, we, we know grief over still, that we have things that need answers to prayer, and the rest of it. Yep. And I tell you that because it's really important for you to know that God is faithful when we're weak. Yeah. I'm just okay. Um, so, one of the things right. I was thinking about is that people have no idea what kind of week that we've had for many different reasons. And furthermore, what they don't know is what I've watched you go through for the last two days to even be standing up here with a message. And at last night I was like, babe, we need to pivot. You and I just need to get up there. I'm here, like let's, I'll like put, shift the weight, shift the weight. And it just reminded me that we're all in the line of fire with the enemy, all of us. And there's no easing up when the word tells us that the enemy is here to kill, to steal, and to destroy, there is no Selah from that. He doesn't take vacation from that. He doesn't take an off-ramp and go to a pause on your life attack station. It's an onslaught because he knows mornings like this are on the line and the only reason that mornings like this matter is because you're taking them into your next day. Yeah, correct. And what we bring, whoever the we is, on Sunday mornings, it's at stake. Like the enemy is coming for it so that you don't hear it on these mornings. Yeah. Because I don't know how I just watched and heard what I just watched and heard because I watched how much the enemy was trying to extract it from you so that it couldn't go to you. Like, I get it, I get it, but when you're going through it, it can just all seem like one big fog. And the thing that I wanted to say to you was something that God did for me, because in the, this morning I, I was talking to Jesus about my own things. <laughs> and worship I was like I don't think I'm getting much higher I just like sat on the floor and just I never looked at a person until the end like I I don't I know you were here <laughs> but it was one of those mornings and then I started hearing worship that I had not heard before and it was very odd and I was like what is that sound and it was sweet. And I realized that when I was down here, the kids uh-huh. were here. So I was hearing worship from down here. And hearing littles sing to the Lord is something that reminds you that the Lord is good. Yeah. 
And so if you are trying to stand a lot <laughs> lately and your legs get to shaking in life, God has something for you even down here. Yeah, so good, dude. He's so down good. here. So good. So true. So I want to leave you with that. And I actually, I wanna, I'm actually just going to share with you about the offering. You know, because God checked me last week. Because I didn't know that Kyle had wanted me to do the offering because this happened. This type of moment happened. And I wasn't prepared. And when I went home that day, I felt like God was saying, you know, you have to treat every part of the morning as holy. Yep. That's so good. And I was like, got it. Your giving is what you see in action. When you see stuff taking place on this platform, when you see that truck, when you see that food, there's only one source, yeah. and it's you. And on the screens, there are opportunities to give. You can give in multitude of ways. There are envelopes that you can put in the little kiosks when you leave, you can give online, you can give with that QR code. But I ask you this, to treat this as holy, as God wow. reminded me to treat this wow. as holy, Danielle. Yes. Because it all is connected. It's all intertwined with him. So good, dude. Yes, you do, God. Yes. yes. You are provider, God. Without you, we have nothing, and we are nothing. So we look to you, and we have everything, because you are everything to us. God, I thank you, Father, for flowing and moving and speaking and laying us out and humbling us and being quick to hear our repentance today, Father. I thank you, God, for giving us strength from the shoulders of other people that are in this room. Yes. We look into the eyes of other people, and sometimes they don't even understand that Ooh. they have kept us going. But, Father, I thank you, God, for shoulders. I thank you for eyes that when we look into them, we know that they understand, God. I thank you for a word that has poured forth. I saw what it went through, God. I saw the attack that it went through to find this platform today, God. And all I can understand is the value of it to the ears that heard it today, God. So, Father, we treat it as holy. We treat it as reverent, God. It is your word that has come to life. And it is carried as life through people this week, Father. We understand that we are in a war. We understand that we are in a battle. We understand that the target is on our front and not on our back. So, God, I pray that the weapons that we use in this warfare are not carnal, God, but that they are mighty, that they bring things down that are high and lifted up, that are trying to be higher than you. And, God, I pray that we use the sword of the Spirit and the power of the spirit of god yes. to defeat the enemy in jesus name hallelujah amen amen hallelujah yes lord we love you church we love you church we love you church we love you church and we know that you love us 
And I thank you for learning how to love each other. Come on. Yes. Go with the Lord today. Yes. And remember who he is to you. Yes. Amen. 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 Love you, Jesus.